beginning April 2nd. Watch Cross Assembly live streaming on Facebook and crossassembly.org. It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. And I'm telling you, I'm done with church politics. I'm done with church politics on the uh, white trash hillbilly level. I'm done with politics on the uh, urbane, sophisticated level. I just want to rally some troops to storm the gates of hell and push back the kingdom of darkness. I want people to understand we're in a war. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. Zechariah chapter 12. And in Zechariah chapter 12, this is what happens. Israel sees that there's no hope. They're surrounded. What are we going to do? And in verse 10, Israel finally cries out. It's been 2,000 years. They finally cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom they have pierced. They finally cry out to Jesus. Paul prophesied this in Romans chapter 11, that one day the nation of Israel will come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. They cry out to Jesus. We're surrounded. There's no hope. And what happens? Chapter 14, verse three. After they cry out to Jesus, it says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's, that's adjoining Jerusalem. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. When Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to return at the very same place the book of Acts chapter one says he left. It's this place right here. It's the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ ascended at the Mount of Olives and Jesus Christ is gonna come back to the Mount of Olives. You understand what's happening? Israel is surrounded. The nations are about to wipe them out. They cry out to Jesus and what we've been waiting for for the last four months happens. Jesus Christ comes back and he lands on the Mount of Olives and when he does, there's some type of earthquake and the, the mountain splits in half. In fact, um, it's interesting. In 1964, Pan American Airlines tried to build a hotel on the top of the Mount of Olives. They called it the In- Intercontinental Hotel or the uh, Hotel of the Seven Arches. They kept having problems with the foundation. And they're trying to figure out what's going on because the, nobody ever had any kind of problems building there on the Mount of Olives. And so they called a geologist in. The uh, geologist looked and he found that there was a fault line on the Mount of Olives from the north to the south, splitting it east and west, just like the Bible predicted. They'd have saved themselves a lot of money if they'd just read their Bible. And so exactly what the Bible says, it's gonna be split. And what happens after that? Well, Jesus has now returned. And Jesus is not returning by himself. Who comes with Jesus? 
We'll look at Revelation chapter 19. Turn to Revelation 19. Here's who comes back with Jesus. Revelation 19 verse eight, it says, now to her, if you read the context, the her is the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? We are. Now to her, to the bride of Christ, was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 14, so, so watch this. We, the church, are clothed in white, fine linen. Look at verse 14. When Jesus comes back, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Who's that? That's you and me. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to come back with him. We've been in heaven for seven years at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and Jesus is going to finally say, y'all ready to go home? Let's go back. And Jesus is going to come back to planet Earth, and we're going to come right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when Jesus finally comes? Israel's being surrounded. The armies of the Antichrist are coming against Israel. What happens? Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. There's not even a battle. He doesn't even break a sweat. He comes back and he speaks the word and the armies of the Antichrist are defeated in a moment. And after that, verse 19, John says, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who'd worked signs in his presence by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with his sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Jesus destroys the Antichrist. Jesus sets up his kingdom. That's Jesus. Not the precious little baby Jesus in your nativity scene. That's not, that's not okay. It's not the precious moments Jesus figurine that you have with the weird head and the little sad eyes. That's not the Jesus who comes back. The Jesus who comes back is a conquering king and he says, this mess is over. I'm a new sheriff. I'm taking over. He's the last man standing. Jesus Christ comes back. He destroys evil. He sends him into the fiery pit and now Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on planet earth. That's where this is headed. Well, pastor, what kind of lessons do we learn from this? As I read about the battle of Armageddon, I gotta give you a couple lessons here. Number one is this, listen to me. Things are gonna get worse before they get better. Things are gonna get worse before they get better. Now there's a doctrine out there, it's not heretical. It's not a heretical doctrine, it's a legitimate doctrine. It's called post-millennialism. I am a pre-millennialist. Post-millennialism, the reformers, like Calvin and John Knox and those guys, they were post-millennial, so they're, they're not heretical, okay? Uh, the Puritans, when they came over on the Mayflower, they were post-millennial. They were coming over here to start a Christian nation to change the world. We, we had, I'm gonna tell you, Kirk Cameron and his guys were the easiest people to work with. They were humble people. I love them, but uh, kind of dawned on me as they were talking, they are post-millennial, okay? Now, again, it's not evil and it's not bad. I just don't think I see it in scripture. Here's the premise of post-millennialism. 
Postmillennialism says this. Now, don't amen me, okay? Because I don't agree with all this, so don't amen me. So, postmillennialism says this. Satan is a toothless lion. Jesus defeated him at the cross. He's a toothless lion. He may roar, but he has no power, okay? And if we will infiltrate culture, if Christians will get out there and infiltrate Hollywood and we infiltrate the sports industry and we infiltrate the political industry and we infiltrate the education system, we can turn our nation, don't amen me, back to a Christian nation and then that will spread around the world and then we will gradually, after a thousand years of this world being a a Christian world, we will usher in gradually the return of Jesus Christ. Now I have several problems with post-millennialism. Number one is this, Satan is not a toothless lion. Now, he operates under God's sovereign control. I do believe that. God is the ultimate God of the universe. Satan operates under his control. But listen to this. 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Hey, we are operating in enemy-occupied territory. Satan is still alive and well on planet Earth, and he is not this toothless lion that has no power. He got a lot of power. And secondly, Jesus' return is not gradual. The passage I just read out of Revelation 19, does that sound like a gradual return of Jesus Christ? No, the whole world goes to hell and then Jesus breaks through and it gets better. That's not a gradual thousand year return of Jesus Christ, okay? Y'all with me on that? Now look, you're gonna disagree with me on this and I'm I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but y'all do understand that ship has sailed. We're not gonna turn this back into a Christian nation. Y'all do realize that, right? I'm with John MacArthur on this thing. I think God has abandoned this nation. I think God has said, you don't want me? Fine, I will leave. I'll tell you something. We're not gonna turn America back into Calvin's Geneva where everybody goes to church on Sunday morning and it was like it was back in the 1950s. We eat apple pie, we salute the flag, we watch Andy Griffith and we all go to church. It ain't gonna happen. This nation has turned its back on God. Uh, some of y'all here are called to be politicians. We actually got more and more people in this church called to be politicians, okay? We got people here who are called to be educators in the public school system. Pastor, do I need to stop doing it? Keep doing what you're doing. Why, if this nation's not going to become an, a Christian nation again, you keep doing what you're doing because Jesus told you to do it. Hey, Jesus has told us to be salt and light out there. It's almost like we're fighting a rear guard battle. Things are going to get worse, but we can't just disengage. You keep engaging. But if you think it's going to get better before Jesus, it ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse before Jesus Christ comes back. Trust me, the supply line not bringing you Christmas presents on time, that's going to be the least of your concerns as this thing gets farther and farther down the line. So that's number one. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Second lesson I learned from Armageddon is this. We can't quit. Hey, if what I've read is true, and it is, and Jesus is coming back, he can't find us twiddling our thumbs or sitting on the beach drinking one of those drinks that uh, have the flowers in it and a big straw and a little pineapple. No, we can't do that. Jesus Christ has got to come back finding us, serving him. You can't quit telling you. I'm hearing more and more people, even in this fellowship, throwing up their hands and quitting. Lots of Christians are getting discouraged. They're getting tired. In fact, I was thinking about a man this week that I know love this guy, walked with this guy for the last several years. He basically said, I'm tired of following Jesus. I'm tired of fighting the fight. I'm gonna go back to the world. And that breaks my heart. You can't do that. You can't quit. 
As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not commanded to quit. If the battle of Armageddon is true, this thing is going somewhere. We're going to win in the end. And so in the end, if we're going to win, we've got to keep serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't quit. In fact, y'all know who, um, y'all know who Louis Pasteur is? Louis Pasteur, he was uh, kind of the preeminent scientist of the, uh, of the 1800s. He uh, came up with vaccines for rabies, vaccines for anthrax. He made milk safe. He was kind of the uh, celebrity health scientist of the 1800s. He's kind of like an ethical version of Anthony Fauci. And so uh, somebody asked him one time, they said, what is the key to your success? I mean, you've done all these things against all odds. And I love what Louis Pasteur finally said. He said, let me tell you the secret that has led to my goal. Listen to this. My strength lies solely in my ability to never give up. Do you know how many times in the Bible we are told, just stand, okay? You don't have to be creative. You don't have to be innovative. Just stand strong. This world is so messed up. If you'll just keep standing for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be ahead of the game. Don't quit, just stand. I shared this, talk about that uh, campfire revival thing we had a couple weeks ago. I don't know how many of y'all are there, but they asked me, the, the people who did it asked me to share this. So this is becoming one of my go-to sermon illustrations. I love this. There's a story about Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, he engages in battle on a particular day. But this day, things aren't going well. He is a military genius. He can read the signs. He knows this battle is lost. So he calls an assistant to him and he says, look, go down to the bugler and tell the bugler to call the sound for retreat. The guy left, five minutes passed, 10 minutes last. The, the bugle has not called the sound of retreat. So he gets a second guy. He says, I don't know what's going on. Go to the bugler and tell him this battle is over today. Sound the retreat on your trumpet. He leaves. A few minutes later, there's no sound of retreat. So Napoleon says, I want to see myself what's going on. So Napoleon himself rode down to the bugler and he says to the bugler, you have been ordered twice, young man, to sound the retreat. Why are you not sounding the retreat? Here's what the young man said. Sir, you never taught me how to sound the retreat. He said, I didn't? He said, no. The only thing you ever taught me was how to sound the charge. Napoleon thought of it and said, all right, well then sound the charge. And he sounds the charge and the armies go forward and they win a victory that day. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus never taught us how to get discouraged and quit. He never taught us how to retreat. He never taught us how to back down and go the other direction. Jesus Christ teaches us to charge. And I'm telling you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be bold, be strong, go take the land, but we gotta go forward, we can't go backwards. And, uh, and this verse, actually, I think this is for somebody here today. This hit me this past week, Galatians 6, 9. I don't know who in this place needs to hear this, but here's what the Bible says. And let us not grow weary while doing good. See, some of y'all getting weary. You know, well, why should I stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? It'd be easier to take the path of least resistance than just let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so if the battle of Armageddon is true. I say, number one, things are going to get worse before they get better. Number two, you can't back down. Y'all can't retreat. And then number three, 
We are in a war. Over and over the New Testament, look, God could have used any type of imagery he wanted to describe the Christian life. In the New Testament, over and over and over again, do you know what image he keeps using to describe the Christian life? It's a battle, it's a war. Hey, we're in a war. We see that in places like 2 Corinthians 10, 4, we're in a war. Ephesians 6, 11, we're in a war. 2 Timothy 2, 3, we're in a war. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, 1 Timothy 1, 18, Philemon 1, 2, over and over and over again, we are in a war. Now, here's the problem, the church in America. We don't realize we're in a war. That's why the church in America is declining, because we don't realize what's really going on around us here. And uh, that's why you have a lot of church splits out there. Listen, I was talking to a guy one time, I was on a board with him, his name was Ken Blanchard, he's a big business guy, and he shared this story. He said, you know, my father was in World War II, he was a Navy guy in World War II. He loved the Navy, ate, slept, drank the Navy. And he said, uh, then one day, my, my dad calls me up and he says, Ken, I'm gonna take early retirement from the Navy. I said, Dad, why are you doing that? You love the Navy. That's your life. So here's what the father said. He said, well, Ken, here's the problem. Wartime Navy is different than peacetime Navy. He says, in the war, there's nothing more exhilarating than storming the beaches with bullets being shot all around you, knowing that you're doing this so that your grandchildren don't have to goose step in some Nazi army one day. But then he says this, but peacetime Navy is different. He said, when there's not an enemy to fight, in the Navy, we start fighting with each other. And I'm afraid that's what's happening in our churches out there. We don't realize there's a war going on out there. And since we don't realize the reality of the war, we start fighting with each other. Armageddon tells me, no, no, no. There's a real war going on. Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of my ministry... Um, until the last maybe eight or nine years here, I had to get sucked into the whole church politics, church fighting game. I hate it. It's nasty. I can't stand it. Before I came here, I, um, I was in rural churches and we had church politics there. Get involved in church politics and it's a mess. I come here and it's the same dynamics. It's just more on an urbane, sophisticated scale. Now, I gotta say this, we have a healthy church. I've not, I've been here 20 years, we've not had a church fight, church politics in about 15 years, okay? Or maybe 10 years. Actually, maybe seven or eight years. Okay, but it's seven or eight. It's been a long time since we had a church fight. We now have a really healthy church, so I gotta make that really clear. But I'll be honest with you. Instead of criticizing pastors out there, y'all need to be praying for pastors, because they're in the middle of this mess. And particularly, I know this, in these rural churches like this, a lot of times, because I had to deal with this, they're angry at the pastor because he doesn't visit enough. They're angry at the pastor because he doesn't do enough for the senior adults. They're angry at the pastor because he's making changes to try to grow the church. I deal with this stuff. My, my Paul Paul was the chairman of deacons, and I'm going to talk to Paul Paul about that pastor. He's going to set that pastor straight. This pastor come in trying to make all these changes. We're going to set that pastor straight, aren't we, Paul Paul? It's kind of nice to have to deal with that. Or they get mad at the pastor because service goes over an hour. Well, we're in over an hour this Sunday, but we better not go over an hour next Sunday because me and my boyfriend, we got tickets to see Toby Keith at the Alabama Theater in Myrtle Beach. We better not go over next week. And pastors have to deal with that mess. And I'm telling you, I'm done with church politics. 
I'm done with church politics on the uh, white trash hillbilly level. I'm done with politics on the uh, urbane, sophisticated level. I just want to rally some troops to storm the gates of hell and push back the kingdom of darkness. I want people to understand we're in a war. Now I'll say this, when I, when I, say, when I say that, all right, some of y'all get really uncomfortable. I don't want that. I just want some good music and a motivational thought, Pastor Chad. It makes Christians nervous. I love what uh, the great theologian, uh, Nick Saban, said. He said, passion always looks like aggression to the unmotivated. This isn't aggression, this is passion. Y'all really believe there's a war going on out there and souls are at stake and we gotta share the Lord Jesus Christ and witness to them and make sure people are saved from Satan. Y'all believe that kind of stuff? There's that war going on? Then that's what our focus needs to be. And beloved, Armageddon tells me there's a real war going on. Now again, in a war, okay, listen. In a war, the commanding officer always issues rules of engagement. Here's how you can fight the war. Here's how you cannot fight the war. Now, when I say we're in a war, our commanding officer has told us rules of engagement. You can't use violence. Y'all do understand that, right? We don't use bombs and guns and knives. We use the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost, prayer and fasting. Our weapons are not carnal weapons. Our weapons are designed to bring down strongholds. That's our weapons. But we're in a war. And that's why some of you are going through some mess right now. Because we pastors, we do a bad job. We do a bait and switch. We say to you, give your life to Jesus Christ. He'll make all your dreams come true. He'll make everything great. He's like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Vote for Jesus and all your dreams will come true. And when you get saved, suddenly you find out, no, life is actually in some ways harder now than it was before I got saved. Why is that? I've had more challenges now that I'm saved than I had when I was lost. Why is that? Listen to me. Because when you were lost, you already belonged to Satan. He already had you. Now that you're saved, you are enemy number one in the eyes of Satan and his demons. And he will come out you. He will throw the kitchen sink at you. I'm going to tell you something. One of the best backhand compliments Satan can give some of y'all is attacking you because suddenly he perceives you to be a threat. He sees something in you that you do not see yourself. He understands we are now in a war and the moment you get serious about Jesus, there's going to be a war going on around you. And there are times you'll get hit. I, uh, I was watching this movie. Y'all ever seen this movie Black Hawk Down before? I love that movie, Black Hawk Down. Now, you look, I like violent, bloody movies. I get into that. This one bothered me. I think it's because it really happened. And for those of you who don't know, in Mogadishu, Somalia, the American forces are pinned down. They're being wiped out. Bullets are flying. Bombs are going off. And the Americans are told to take the Humvees, go into the heart of Mogadishu, and rescue the Americans. So the American forces get in their Humvee, they navigate the bombs and the missiles being launched at them, they finally get to the group of Americans, the soldiers who've been pinned down and shot up, they load them into the Humvee with bullets pulling all around them, and then the commander says to the young driver of the Humvee, he says, you gotta drive us out of here. The driver says, I can't drive. I've been shot, I can't drive. 
And the commander says, and I love this, hey, son, we've all been shot. Get us back to base. We've all been shot. Pastor, I can't keep serving Jesus because I failed morally last week. I really messed up. I've been shot. And I say, son, we've all been shot. Get back into the battle. Uh, Pastor, my family got hit. My family was supposed to turn out this way. And yet my family has turned out that way. We've been hit and I'm going to quit. And I want to say to you, all of our families have been hit. We've all been shot. Roll up your sleeves and let's get back in the battle. Pastor, I'm going through depression. I'm going through anxiety. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. I've been shot. I can't go on. And I'm here to tell you, hey, we've all been shot by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get back up. Roll up your sleeves. Get back into the battle. Because one day all this is going to end up all right. Pastor, it's going to end up all right. How's this going to end, Pastor? How's all this mess going on? How's it going to end? Hey, the Bible just told you how it's going to end. Chapter 19, and I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat upon him is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns and had a name written that no one knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he will smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron for he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God and on his robe and on his thigh a name was written king of kings and lord of lords and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. May the church militant and triumphant praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. Beginning April 2nd, watch Cross Assembly live streaming on Facebook and crossassembly.org.